All right, if you were here this morning, you know that we were in the Old Testament, the last book of the Bible. Um, we're in the New Testament now. In fact, we're in the third book of the New Testament. So we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. So we're in the last chapter of the book of Luke. And we're going to read just a few verses, just verses 50 through 53. Uh, and then what we're going to do is we're going to confess together four questions and answers as part of our ongoing catechetical series or what we call teaching series as we focus um, this afternoon on what we call the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, you know that there were um, pivotal moments in his life. You have, the, you have the conception of Jesus Christ, you have the birth of Jesus Christ, you have the broad ministry, a three-year ministry of Jesus Christ, um, you have the sufferings of Christ, you have the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, you have the death of Jesus Christ, you have the burial of Jesus Christ, you have the de descent into hell of Jesus Christ, and then you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and all of these pivotal moments in the ministry of Jesus Christ we have been covering in this catechetical series over the last number of months. All right, now what we're doing is we're getting to the point of what we call Jesus's ascent or his rising into heaven. What's the, what's the significance of this? What's the, and what is the kind of payoff of this? What does it mean for you and me? That's what we're going to be taking a look at um, this afternoon. So um, let's begin by reading the Bible, most importantly, a few verses that record in a very succinct way the record of the ascension and the report of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Then he, that is Jesus, led them. Who's that? It's the disciples. Jesus led the disciples out as far as Bethany. And then lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. All right, now, let's uh, fill this out a little bit more by taking a look at question and answers 46, 47, 48, and 49. Uh, usually, we take one or maybe two questions and answers at a time. This time, we're taking four, okay? And because of the length of this, let's switch around what we normally do. I usually read the question, and you together recite the answer. Let's switch it around, okay? You are going to give the question, and then I'm simply going to read the answer, okay? And let's, let's say these words out loud. So first of all, question 46. Let's say that together. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? All right, here's the answer. This is what we're confessing, that Christ before the eyes of his disciples was taken up from the earth into heaven and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Question 47. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Here's the answer. Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he's never absent from us. Question 48. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other, if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Answer, not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. 
So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. And finally, question 49, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? All right, three benefits which we're going to look at uh, this afternoon. First, he is our advocate in heaven before his father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. Now, all of that is quite a mouthful. There's kind of a lot here. And, you know, I, I, I oftentimes think from, from the side of the preaching ministry of the church that if, if there are, are individuals who uh, either grew up in the faith but, but maybe have distanced themselves from the faith and are, you know, a little bit lost in terms of remembering the details of the Christian faith, or if there are people who really... Um, have, have never really understood who Jesus is, this is, a, this is a lot of material. So what I want to do for our sakes this afternoon is um, I want to look at question and answers 46, 47, 48, and I'm going to make some comments on that, take a few minutes, and then our special focus is going to be question and answer 49 as we look at the practical benefits of the ascension of Jesus for us. So if you keep, uh, go back to 46 if you would, I'm going to follow 46 and then 47 and then 48 one at a time, all right? So, let's be instructed in the significance of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Okay, what do you confess? What are we confessing when we confess that Jesus, after he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven? And here's the answer, very succinct. That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, now that's pretty simple, but, but it's a pretty significant statement because it's really saying is that the ascension of Jesus Christ is not a myth, it's not a legend, um, people just didn't make it up. But the disciples themselves in space and in time, in history, saw Jesus ascend into heaven. We have eyewitnesses of this. And he was taken up from the earth into heaven and he is there for our benefit. He doesn't go up there and now is just spending time there and just kind of twiddling his thumbs or he's like this, just kind of waiting for us to join him one day. He's doing something. Well, what is he doing? We're going to be taking a look at that this afternoon. These are things that are benefits for us. And now he's in heaven, but he's not going to remain there. He's going to come back again to, in time to judge the living and the dead at the end of history. Now, question 47, if you put that up there. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Now, here's the idea. That Christ, after his resurrection, we'll get into this a little bit more in, in just a moment. Christ, after his resurrection, in time, ascended into heaven. So the, the, the question is, if he's in heaven, then what is he doing on earth? Or is he on earth? Because if he's in heaven, then, then what, what about his presence here he went up and this is one of the concerns of the disciples like oh lord you're leaving us oh no we've been we you were our friend we have been with you for three years and now you're leaving us if that's true then what about you and i here below didn't jesus promise that he was going to be that he was never going to leave us 
That's what he promised disciples, and by extension, he's promising us that as well. So if he went into heaven, well then, what about that promise? Right? Jesus said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He told his disciples, and he tells us, I will not leave you as orphans. Well, if he went up, didn't he leave us as orphans? Are we all alone? And the answer is this. Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he's no longer on earth. Now, that's also a very significant statement because I have found as a pastor, there are many people who grew up in the church who have this idea that if you ask them, how is Jesus in heaven? They'll say, Jesus is in heaven by his spirit. But the Bible teaches us not just his spirit, but in his body, Jesus went up into heaven physically and physically one day he is going to return. So he's physically and spiritually in heaven. With respect to his human nature, he's no longer on earth, but with respect to his divinity, that is divine nature, his majesty, grace, and spirit, he's never absent from us. So here's the idea. When Jesus rose, he rose in his, with both his physical, his human, and divine nature, but it's only his divine nature, his spiritual nature, that is not only in heaven, but it's here below. Not his human nature, but his spiritual nature, and his majesty his spirit, all right, and his grace. Question 48, but are the two natures in Christ, but are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? So here's the idea. If Christ is in heaven in his human nature and his spiritual nature, his divine nature, but here on earth, only in his divine nature, spiritual nature, then, then aren't these two separated from each other? And what the Bible teaches us, and we who understand this kind of what we call reform background, which is the context of our church here, is that we confess that the two natures of Jesus Christ, the human and divine, are not fused together so that wherever his human nature is, his divine nature is, and wherever his divine nature is, his human nature is. They're not fused together, but neither are they completely separated either. Rather, the two natures of Christ are distinguished, and yet they are united. So when we say that the two natures of Christ are united, what that means practically for us is that Christ is, is in his human nature and divine nature in heaven, but because his human nature and divine nature are united to each other, not separated or fused, the human nature is still connected or united with his divine nature. So here it again is. Human nature and divine nature in heaven, only his spiritual nature and his grace, his spirit, his majesty is here below. Now, maybe it seems a little bit confusing to you, but that is all revolving around who Jesus is. The question that we have remaining for us this afternoon is what is he doing? What is he doing? What is he doing in heaven? And what is he doing here on earth? And what is he doing for us? And what are, the, what, are, what are some of the benefits of what Christ is doing among us? That's what we're going to be taking a look at this afternoon, okay? Now, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 24. Luke is one of the four Gospels, right? So you have the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. When you look at the four Gospels, what you see is a record of the life 
and also the ministry of Jesus Christ. And when you look at the Gospels, it records this. It records the beginnings of Jesus when he came to this earth, his conception and his birth, and it covers the life of Jesus in the beginning up to his childhood, around 12 years old. Now, many of you probably know this, but some of you probably don't, but actually the Gospels and the Bible is silent about what happens between the years 12 and 30. So the Bible has, says nothing about Jesus' teenage years, and it doesn't really say anything about his young adult years. So it jumps between, from, from his childhood to the beginning of his public ministry at 30 years old, and then it covers that ministry of Jesus for three years till around 33, where Jesus is actually crucified and he is put to death. Okay, so when you read about the public ministry, that three-year ministry, what you see is that, as I noted before, you find these pivotal moments in Jesus' life. The Bible says that Jesus suffered throughout his ministry, but especially at the end. So Jesus suffered, and then toward the end of his life, Jesus was crucified, Jesus was put to death, Jesus was buried, and then a very pivotal moment, which we celebrate on Easter, right? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after Jesus rose from the dead, what did he do? Well, there's a 40-day period of time where Jesus did two things, the Bible says. He preached the kingdom of God. And in addition to that, what Jesus did is he made what we call post-resurrection appearances. So he appeared to a number of individuals as if to say to them, you can see me. In fact, you can come and you can touch me. And you can see that physically I have risen from the dead. I'm not a ghost. I'm not an apparition. I truly have risen from the dead. After his resurrection, then we read that Jesus, after those 40 days, ascended into heaven. And in Luke chapter 24, we read that Jesus did two things before his disciples. And he ascended, our passage says, a place called Bethany. It's about 10 kilometers outside of Jerusalem. So he, Jesus gathers his disciples together, according to Luke chapter 24 and other places in the Bible. And what he does is he blesses his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven. Now, it specifically says in our passage that Jesus blessed his disciples. But what was he doing there? Because this is a very significant thing. What Jesus was doing when he gathered his disciples together is when he was blessing them, he was pronouncing his favor and his goodwill upon them. And he was promising his disciples as he was leaving them that he was never going to forsake them. He promised them that he was going to give them everything that they needed for their personal lives. But also he was going to give them everything they needed for their public ministry. For they were going to continue the public ministry of Jesus on this earth. So he did that. Okay, That's what he's promising them. I want you to notice something very significant. Can you put the, you get the loop, good. All right, I want you to take closely a look at the wording. If you have your Bibles, take a look at this if you would. Beginning verse 50. Then Jesus led them, that is his disciples, out as far as Bethany, again, 10, mile, or 10 kilometers outside of Jerusalem. And notice the imagery here. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Now, at the end of every one of our worship services, if you grew up in the Christian church, you know that there's something that is called a benediction, that is a, a parting blessing. And not always every Sunday, but there's what we call the ironic benediction that comes from Numbers chapter 6, where we, where we read, um, 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his, the Hebrew word is shalom, health and peace and blessing in God's favor. Okay? Probably what Jesus is doing at this point is he's pronouncing a form of the ironic benediction upon his disciples. He's pronouncing goodwill upon them. Now, if you notice the passage closely, it says, while he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried into heaven. Verse 51, while he blessed them. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, after he blessed them, he went into heaven. It doesn't say, before he blessed them, he went into heaven, only to bless them afterwards. No, he says, while he blessed them. So, kids, think about this. You have Jesus standing before his disciples, probably without rich arms in the, in the ironic benediction form, and, and he goes up, 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 and they just watch him go up with his hands extended, blessing them as he goes up, up, up. What's the point of that? The blessing never stops. The blessing continues. The blessing continues upon the disciples, and by way of extension, the blessing continues upon you and me as well. It's like, it's like when, you, when you have a lawn and you have a spigot on your lawn, it goes, that blessing, just like that water keeps going out. Blessing, blessing, blessing. So the, the point is, is that, is that Jesus never, you know, when he, when he comes to the end of his three-year ministry with his disciples, Jesus doesn't pack his bags and give his notice like you would on your final day of work before you go into retirement. And then Jesus retires himself. It's not like Jesus packs his bags, gives his notice and saying, you know what, I got a great retirement place in Florida, that's where I'm going and that's where I'm going to spend my days. No, uh-uh. Just as there's no retirement in the kingdom of God, there's no retirement for Jesus. Here's my point. He continues to work. He continues to bless. Which, of course, it's a catechetical series. One thing leads to another, right? The question then becomes, well, what form does that blessing take? If that blessing is not only for the disciples, but for you and me, what kind of blessing do we receive as a result of the ascension of Jesus Christ? And the answer rests in three things that we see in question answer 49. Three things. Here they are. Listen up, right? Christ's advocacy, Christ's surety, and Christ's spirit. Now, those kind of sound formal, but I'm going to explain them very simply. Okay? So, let's get right into it. What do we mean when we say we receive the blessing of Christ's advocacy as a result of his ascension? Take a look at the passage, if you would, next from, let's see, 1 John. Can you put that up there, please? Okay, take a look at that, if you would. In fact, does this ring a bell for those of you here this morning? I confess this during our time of confession and assurance. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So here's the idea. Jesus ascended into heaven, and he's even there, he's there now as we speak, and Jesus does something for us in heaven. He advocates for us. He is our advocate. What does that mean? He's our advocate. There's, a, there's a, a word in the original language that is behind this word advocate. This is our English form, but the word in the Greek language is parakletos. 
Now, some of the older hymns, some of you may be aware of this, some are not, some not, but sometimes you, 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 when we sing a hymn, there's a reference to the Holy Spirit as paraclete. Paraclete, which comes actually from the Greek word parakletos. And that Greek word parakletos is divided into two basic different words. Para, from, from which we get our English word parallel. So kids, when you think of the word para or parallel, you think of like parallel bars. Parallel means alongside, right? Two things are alongside of each other. The word kletos comes from, well, a verbal form of that is kaleo, which means to be called. So really what the Holy Spirit is, as our parakletos, is he is one who is called alongside of us to help us in our time of need. Now that word parakletos in the Gospel of John and in our English Bibles can sometimes be translated as helper, sometimes as comforter, and in this case, in terms of its local context, it's advocate. So when we say that Jesus is our advocate in heaven, we're saying he has come alongside of us to help us in, when, we, when we sin and when we break the laws of God, when we grieve the heart of God. And when we sin, the Bible says two things happen. Not only do we grieve our own conscience, and that not only does our own conscience accuse us that, you know what, I said something or I did something that was wrong. But the Bible says on the basis of Revelation 12, verse 10, that the devil also stands there accusing us, in the language of the book of Revelation, accusing us night and day before the throne of God. So we have two accusations going on against us in our sin. Our, our conscience accuses us, but also outside of us, the devil accuses us. Now, as the parakletos, Jesus stands in the gap, and when you think of Jesus as parakletos or as advocate, think of a courtroom. So you have the father as a judge, you have the devil as a prosecuting attorney, and you have Jesus as the advocate, the defense attorney. So when the devil accuses us before the father, or when our own conscience accuses us, Jesus, as our advocate, essentially says this. Yes, my people are sinners. Yes, sometimes they grieve your heart, O oh God. But the fact of the matter is, they are mine. And I came for them. And I love them. And I love them so much that I have suffered for them. I have died for them. I've been buried for them. And I have risen for them. And now I've ascended for them. And I am defending them, O oh Father, before your very throne. And not one of them will ever be lost. You ever think about that? You ever think about that, where, where Jesus is in a sense standing as your advocate or your, your attorney in heaven, and when you sin, he comes alongside of you and he soothes your conscience. And by his spirit, he reminds you, you know what? When you repent and you believe and you keep doing that, and you keep coming to me and doing that, you are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. And you are reconciled. And you are beautiful before my Father. He testifies to that. The Bible says the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Jesus is advocating for us. And that you have an advocate in heaven, a defense attorney in heaven that counters those dirty accusations of the devil against your conscience before the Father. And he is for you. He is for you. 
that's a beautiful, beautiful truth, which I'm wondering how many of us ever really think about that and dwell on that. Jesus is our advocate. We need to move on. Secondly, Jesus is our surety. Not just our advocate, but one of the blessings of the ascension is Jesus is our surety. Now, what does that mean? Part of preaching is to take sometimes difficult concepts and break them down. Not just for adults, but also for children and for those who are either new to the faith or outside the faith, right? So when we say that Jesus is our surety, a surety is, is a guarantee that that which was promised or is promised is going to be fulfilled. And what is the promise of Jesus to us? The promise of Jesus is, I've not abandoned you, but you are mine, and you're not just mine now, but you're mine for eternity. And where I have gone up into heaven, you too, when you place your faith in me and you live as a Christian, as I've gone into heaven, I will take you there to myself one day. That's his promise. And it's a sure promise. Take a look at the second passage, if you would. Father, I desire... This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. So he's praying to his father now. This is the night before his crucifixion. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, that is, his children, right? Those whom the father has given to Jesus to save, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Also this from John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. I mean, some of the most beautiful words in the Bible and reassuring words in the Bible, right? Jesus says, I'm in heaven and even now, my children, I'm preparing a place for you. <laughs> what does that mean? Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you. He says, in my father's house, some of the old translations have it, in my father's house are many mansions or are, 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 are many rooms. Heaven is a place, we know that. Um, we have to be careful taking this too literally. The, the point that Jesus is making is there's enough room in heaven for for all of us and also this jesus says i'm 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 actually i'm preparing a room for you now i tell you what you do research on that you go consult commentaries and all that and and the commentators are all very reserved about that i mean what in the world does that mean that he's preparing a place for us um tomorrow joy and i are going to receive a guest at our home he's the, he's the lead speaker at a united reformed church and canadian reformed church uh, ministerial conference right his name is alan strange he's, he goes to the seminary where i'm aboard mid-america reformed seminary so i got to pick him up from the airport and but before we pick before i pick him up the airport and we're, and before he stays with us at our home what are we doing right we're preparing his room we're cleaning the house uh changing the bed the, the bedding on the bed making sure the room is all ready to go I'm going to pick him up from the airport, make sure he's all taken care of in terms of his room and food and all of that. That's what we do when we have guests in our home. Or if your parents, you're a bit middle-aged, your older parents are coming or whatever, or cousins, you prepare that house. That's what Jesus is doing. What exactly that means, we don't know. All we do know is that we're not forgotten. And Jesus is looking forward to that day 
when all his preparation will be complete and we move on from this existence and we join him in heaven. I mean, how beautiful is that? You know, some of us, some of us here are older. How much time do we have left? God can take any one of us any time. But for some of us, maybe we have a few months, maybe we have a half a year, a year or two, or we don't know. Especially when you're older, you think that the Lord is preparing a place. Kids, you know, the, 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 it, it's hard to talk about, but you know what? Our times, the Bible says, are in the hands of God. We can go at any time according to the time of God. Are we all prepared to go? But also this, are we looking forward to that time we're belonging to Jesus. We finally get to that room that he has prepared for us. That's another beautiful benefit of the ascension. And then finally this, very quickly, one of the third benefits of the ascension of Jesus Christ is his spirit. Okay? Um, take a look at John 16. There we go. Here's the final passage we're going to look at. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage, he says to his disciples, that I go away. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. Remember, the disciples have been taught by Jesus and they've interacted with Jesus and they ate and they have slept with Jesus and all of that. They've been doing all these things together, right, for three years. And then Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And that caused a great amount of consternation, a great amount of fear. Oh, you're leaving us. And Jesus comforts them by saying, but listen, you have to, you have to understand, it's to your advantage that I go away. And it's, it, it's, it's to the advantage of my people that I go away. Because think about this. If Jesus never ascended, where would he be? Well, he'd be physically here on this earth. And for some of us, we probably think, well, that'd be kind of cool. I could go up to Jesus and say hi, and I could actually see him perform miracles and all that. But think about the influence of Jesus in his humanity as opposed to the omnipresence or the everywhere presence of his spirit. Jesus says, in that respect, it's much better than I go up into heaven and in time, which he did 10 days after his ascension, pour forth my spirit upon you. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, again, parakletos in the original, the helper, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, parakletos, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. However, you know him. Because he dwells in you and will be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. Remember what I said this morning? When God promises something, he never lies. So too with Jesus. Jesus ascends before his disciples. Now he's gone. And now the disciples suddenly feel alone. But Jesus said, I'm going to send my spirit to you. When did he do that? Ten days after his ascension. And this is a huge point. In the history of the church, Jesus pours out, he pours out his spirit upon his disciples. And he subsequently, indeed, works that spirit in the lives of individuals. And Jesus fulfills then his promise when he says to his disciples, he says to us, you know what? By my spirit, you're never alone. You're not orphans. I live in you and I will be with you forever again by my spirit. I mean, think about that. Where would we be if the Spirit of God did not live in here and was not also alongside of us? Without the Spirit of God, 
we'd never see who Jesus is. Without the Spirit of God, we would never seek Jesus. We'd never, we'd never go after him, and we would never follow him. Without the Spirit of Jesus, we would, we would not really be able to even live the Christian life. Without the Spirit, you would not even be here. Without the Spirit, we would never make heaven the ultimate goal of our lives. We see then the benefit of the ascension of Jesus Christ and the sending forth of his Spirit for us. It truly is a blessing. It truly is a benefit. So if you think about it in these ways, when you think about Jesus and the blessing of his ascension as our advocate and our surety and the blessing of the Spirit, when you lay that all out, then all of a sudden you go, the ascension of Jesus Christ is a huge thing. It's a beautiful thing. You know, and it was something that was so beautiful to the disciples that they did three things according to the passage from Luke 24, right? They, 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 after Jesus left, bestowing his blessing upon them, what did they do? They worshiped Jesus and they rejoiced and they blessed God. God blessed them and now they are blessing God. The ascension you see then for the disciples of Jesus Christ, and for us too, should never just be a certain fact that we understand and embrace. But the ascension is something that is beautiful and contains wonderful benefits and blessings, ongoing blessings for us that are designed for our assurance and for our comfort. And if the disciples worship the Lord, and if the disciples bless the Lord and they rejoice, then should we not also, as a result of the wonderful and beautiful ascension of Christ? We're going to explore this more, the, the practical import of the ascension of Jesus Christ in just a moment. Before we do, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, O oh Lord, that in your love and at great sacrifice to yourself, you sent Jesus for us. Not just to suffer and to die and to be buried and to rise from the dead, but also ascend for us so that we may be the recipients of these great blessings of Christ's advocacy in the face of our sins and Christ's surety as a sure promise that one day we will join him in glory but also for the blessing of Christ's spirit who lives in us and is with us to our dying day. We are so grateful for this, Heavenly Father. And we give you, Lord Jesus, all the praise for what you have done for us in your ascension. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.